0: pardon our dust and welcome to the coder radio feed coder radio is jupiter broadcasting's new show hosted by chris fisher that's me and michael Dominic. it's our show that takes a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development live every monday at 9 a.m pacific that's noon eastern and available for download later that day you can also contact us coder radio at JupiterBroadcasting.com, and we look forward to seeing you every single week Okay, no, we
1: haven't traveled back in time. I'm Wes, and I've, of course, joined with Mike. We do have a big announcement today, so I thought we might as well start off by reviewing how the show got started. It's been a long time since 2012, Mike.
2: It has been seven years, in fact, yes. I inaccurately said it was six years yesterday. I forgot a year. It's been so long. That is impressive. So for those who don't know, that was, I believe, that was the first intro we ever did live, right? Yeah. No, actually, so that was the warm-up for the feed. That was the warm-up. That's right. Yeah. And
1: then the very next, and then I think the week after that...
2: We did episode one. The first episode dropped, right? Right, because there was an episode zero. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah. You know, and that's unfortunately fit for this podcast. There's lots of little boring programming technical reasons there because, you know,
2: you need something in your feed if you're going to add it to all the places that want to check your feed. That's true. And, tr- and true coders count starting with zero anyway. Start, Yeah, we start at zero. We just have to. So big announcement. Um, because of my insane work schedule, uh, it was going to be about a month hiatus. But I think Wes and I have talked and, you know, we really accomplished the goals that Chris and I originally and then Wes, when he came on, uh, had for the show. Right. Educating new developers, getting people familiar with open source alternatives. Remember when that was a thing you had to convince people?
1: Yeah, right? I mean, when the, when the show started, sure, I mean, open source was obviously there and prevalent and used a lot of places, but it wasn't anywhere near as common, you know, just in, in everyday discussion and people knowing about it in, in open source, both in good ways and in bad ways for things like vulnerability,
2: being reported in the mainstream news. Exactly. And how about open source alternatives for, remember, remember iOS? Remember mobile? Yeah, oh gosh. That was a huge focus, yeah. So, you know, we've accomplished our goals, and uh, this is going to be our um, Pop the Champagne mission accomplished.
1: I, I, I like that a lot. I'm I'm honored to have been a part of the history of this show. You know, I, I came on, I think, in an interesting time for the show. Uh, I first appeared in a guest episode when Chris was away. Of course, we talked about closure because, I mean, you know, what else, what else was going to happen? And then I joined on a more permanent basis just at the beginning of this year, it i think that just shows too i was looking back at the history reviewing some of the tags and all the things that we you know that have been covered over the years and it really does show what has happened we've been talking about serverless and functional programming and devops and automation and all of those things have have just come to the forefront in the past 7 years
2: this is this is some ancient history here but remember all the android compatibility google play services segments we used to have
1: oh my gosh
2: that's crazy oh those
1: were the days so, I thought maybe just, you know, we could review review a few old clips from the archive and revel in the glory that is Coder Radio.
2: Oh, I sent some Swift coming.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, in a minute. Let's warm up, though. Let's warm up with your very first feedback answer. Because, you know what, honestly, one of the things I've loved about doing the show is we get great audience engagement. And that, I mean, that's why we're here at all, right? Is because we have awesome, there's an awesome audience who we love to converse with. And part of the way that happens is, you know, Sending feedback to us. So here's your advice to the very first
0: Coder Radio feedback. All right, why don't we do uh, our first feedback? I see you have there. I'll let you take it.
2: Sure. So first off, thank you all for your emails. There were quite a lot of them, and uh, many of them were rather lengthy. <laughs> yeah. So for the sake of time, I've boiled them down into the three most common, okay, either requests or or topics. Um, the first one is from someone named Brett. And a few others echoed the same thing. For a beginner looking to get employment, what would be the best programming language slash platform to study? Mm. Um, now, I totally understand why this is a question that might concern you greatly. But actually, you know, the internet didn't get any smaller. There is tons of code that needs to be written. So, pick one that you like. That's reasonable. So, don't pick V six, right? And or, or you know Fortran. And just study it, get some code samples, and start looking for a job. I I know that's not what you want to hear. Right. But honestly, you don't need to say, oh my god, mobile's hot, I have to go learn Android.
0: Okay.
2: Whatever you like, as long as it's Ruby.
0: There you go. Yeah, I don't I don't believe you. I don't believe you when you say that. Uh, what about like, uh, how do you know? How do you how would you say you could get a good feel if uh, if something's dying off? Like, um, okay, well, so maybe there's some languages that are sort of at the end of their usefulness, but people are still kind of current in them. Like they're still semi popular, but you could tell five years down the road they're kind of going to be diminished.
2: So dying off is actually probably not a good way to put it. Um, it's not like an old version of Ubuntu that no one's going to run. Fortran, as someone in the chat is pointing out, and the other languages do still get used. Right, true. But they're used in settings that a junior-level programmer wouldn't be in. Academics, very high-level banking-type things.
0: Uh
2: Um, If you're a junior person, I would go with something higher-level and more modern. Okay. All right, that makes sense. And also, it depends on your area. So... I know in the New York area, Ruby is huge.
0: Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mobile's huge. Java's huge. Actually, you know what? Just learn anything you like and go for it. As long as it's really. not VB six. As long as it's not VB six, and that's just because you'll cry. <laughs> and I don't want you to be sad.
0: Remember, we just covered last episode though. They're gonna they're gonna support that thing for like ever.
2: <laughs> With their dying breath, I'm sure.
0: Oh, boy, hasn't a
1: lot changed since that clip? I mean, one, thankfully, thankfully, we don't talk about VB6 anymore. But, you know, I really liked your comparison to like a like an Ubuntu distribution that that just sort of disappears after it's out of its support lifecycle. Or, to, for the most part, I mean, we all have seen those, those horrible Debian 4 boxes that are lurking out there somewhere. But you're right. I mean, from, by and large, while programming languages fade, so far,
2: they don't really just disappear, at least not the big ones. Episode one, I'm recommending Ruby, right? What did we talk about last week? Ruby. I love it. Rails 6. Right?
1: I mean, we keep we keep hitting on the discussion, the theme of like, oh, you know, is Rails doing okay? Like, people aren't talking about it this much. And that's true. It's definitely lost some hype, but it's still powering major websites and getting used to in new deployments all the time.
2: Absolutely. and And I just want to comment. I sounded so like... Young and terrified in that clip.
1: <laughs> yes, right. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm putting my voice out on the internet, and now, I mean, you're you're an old hat at it, and come across much much more sophisticated. What I mean, let me just say,
2: thank you. Well, that's a compliment coming from you. You're a, you're a suave. You're like Casey Kasem of tech podcasting.
1: Oh, thank you. I wondered, do you still feel the same way about, um, you know, not worrying about language as much, and that you sort of just need to pick a, a decent first learning language. Uh, don't maybe don't try to go focus on wherever the hot new areas and just get
2: get the basics in yeah i do i mean i think one of the interesting things about looking back seven years ago is we have covered a lot of the fads right many of them were indeed just fads that went away yeah i mean every option every language i mentioned that even the vb6 dig with the joke was kind of wrong anyway right because there are people doing vb6 and we should pray for them
1: I don't know if I've said this, but VB6 was like one of the first languages I really started using. Like when I was first getting into programming, I tried to make a, um online multi-user dungeon in VB6. Yeah, right? Because that was, that was all the rage. That was a fad at the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, if you're in a certain age bracket like we are, VB6 was pretty much what you did.
1: You know, it still has a lot of leverage. Like if you think back about making the apps, like, what you needed to know and how much you were able to do graphically. And then, of course, you know, pop into the code view when you needed to do something a little more complicated. It was very accessible and, like, got me excited in a great way. And I don't know if there's anything that's out there that is exactly doing that in the same way these days.
2: Yeah. No, I I can't think of anything quite like that. I mean, because VB6 didn't force you to, uh, to kind of learn a bunch of abstract concepts up front.
1: No, but it is the first time I really got grips on what, like, a subroutine was, you know? At least in a way that was, like, fully realized.
2: Yeah, so I like how we're having a conversation about how wonderful VB6 is. It just goes to show you that the advice from the first episode of do whatever you like, you'll find something. Hell, even if it's VB6.
1: All right, well, one thing that's changed a lot over the years is the rapid adoption of containers. First, maybe starting out in, you know, things like build environments, developer Setups on their desktops or their workstations to now just being you know everywhere. I, I'm I'm running most of the things I run on my day to day in a container. Um, you guys, you and Chris though, you were you were on the ball on this. You saw it coming. I don't know that you'd you know really adopted it full scale at this point, but you knew enough that was going on. You had your hand on the pulse and had the people from Dot Cloud, if you
0: remember Dot Cloud, on the show to talk about. What's the deal with Docker? Ben, maybe you wouldn't give us just a real quick uh, summary of what Doc Cloud is, what you guys do, and, and what Docker is.
1: Yeah, well, I'm uh, Ben Golub. I'm uh, CEO of Doc Cloud, which is the company behind Docker. And I'm Andy Rothfuss. I'm the developer support
0: manager for the Doc Cloud platform as a service, and I'm also the chief maintainer of the Docker documentation, so I've got a foot in both camps. Well guys it's great to have you both okay so who wants to take the what is docker and how does it relate uh, how does how does docker and cloud sort of exist together is it I know docker is an open source project right but you guys sort yep. of are the step the, sh- the shepherds of it correct
1: right yeah so we um, we were running a platform as a service company uh, and you know platform as a service basically makes it easier for developers to get their ideas up and running uh, in production and uh, the thing that we noticed as we were running this uh, platform as a service company is that you know, developers were, even with a great service like ours, were still spending far too much time worrying about uh, whether their code would run in-house, whether it would run uh, on different clouds. Um, and so they're worried about you know, how the code is going to run rather than worrying about creating awesome code. Mm. Uh, and so we took um, a lot of the core technology that we had in running our platform as a service and released it as open source. And that's the Docker project. And that's the Docker project. I don't think any of us using Docker today think about it in those terms anymore.
2: Yeah, remember, so I had to look it up before the show. DotCloud was a, a, a platform as a service company, right? They um, they basically, and they, of course, created Docker, and they kind of backed into being with what's now I think it's called Docker Inc. or Docker Corp. Right. That was just a lucky a lucky call because my thinking was we should have these guys on because deployment is terrible. Right. I, I only saw it in a very narrow view of like you have to learn all these different tools and depending on what you're deploying, your deployment tools are gonna be different. Right. Capistrano, anyone? Capistrano, right. You could be doing Ansible, right? There's a million different things. If you're in the Microsoft world at the time, you were probably doing Team Foundation server and the T V S deployment.
1: Right. Oh man, yeah, of course.
2: And I wasn't even using it yet, right, because it was so, like, new that you could have a standard container, which we throw that word around so much. But this was really a new concept.
1: Right. I mean, if you were really hip, you know, you'd been using Solaris or or maybe one of the BSDs and you had a concept of something like this, you know. Like jails. Right. Or maybe you come from the old mainframe days. But for the, the most people out there in writing enterprise software, this just wasn't a thing you had access to. It was either VM set up for you or maybe you're still on bare
2: metal. Yeah, maybe you're just, you know, I I mean, people used to rsync their code up to the server, right? Like crazy things have happened. Yes. Uh but I don't know. I mean, I, I I wonder what what you think listening to that. Did you ever think it would grow into what it's become with like Kubernetes and you know, Doku and all those other um kind of things built on containers? You know, I was um
1: well, I I get excited about new software things fairly easily. I think that's probably obvious. Um so it's no surprise that I was pretty I was pretty interested in it. I am impressed to the extent that it has managed to penetrate so far, you know, um, I think the combination of, of the advancement of DevOps principles probably helped because, honestly, I kind of saw a lot of old older-school sysadmins who didn't need that, you know, or, or didn't think they needed it, didn't see the advantages, saw it as being a big sell to the developers and not a clear sell to them. And to some to, to some extent, that can be true today, depending on the environment. But the value of standardization... And I think the thing that first stood out to me is I was prototype using it, you know, for like my own local development. And this is still something I enjoy today. To get your Docker working, I mean, you can build it in a more interactive way, but that's mostly discouraged. So you have to go figure out how to make your app run, right? Like I know that it takes... 268 megabytes of Ubuntu dependencies to go get the Ruby environment up that I needed with all the, you know, with all the the build essential stuff so that it could actually go and compile native modules because for some reason I have to install Nokogiri.
2: Just Nokogiri does everything.
1: Once you get it set up, it works, right? And it's all documented. You can see the packages that are required. You can see any of the steps to facilitate getting that container up and running and working with the code. So once that's done, you can go back and focus on what you're actually doing, which is probably writing an application to serve your customers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember in the early days of, uh, remember, because containers were really just Docker, right? And I know BSD oh, yeah. people will be like, we have jails. But I remember long, long conversations with clients t- trying to explain the difference between a container and a VM, right? Because at the time, a VM was like the most analogous thing, and container was just not a word you used. No, no,
1: certainly not. And it didn't it didn't make much sense, even though in some ways, maybe it's the simpler, simpler idea, simpler primitive, I don't know. I'm curious, you know, there's a couple other times in the show that we've we've touched on containers, well, more than a few. One of the earlier ones, I don't have a clip unfortunately, but it was an episode where you started talking about how you started adopting containers in some of your, like, build pipelines and test workflows, and I'm curious to what extent you find containers used, you know, in your practice today.
2: I mean, I will say I use it less than I used to, but it's been a long time. Uh, But for certain types of environments where it's just picky and I want to make sure it's quick for me to, you know, literally pull down the environment I want, I will create like a the Docker container that I can pull out of a, either Docker Hub or a private registry. Sure. it's I, I almost feel like that use has almost been completely superseded, and I know it's not a perfect analogy, but by things like uh, packs or... Um, the name is Snaps. I mean Snaps.
1: Right. At least
2: for um, things on the desktop. I don't know. Yeah, for desktop, like tooling and stuff like that. For the server, I I still pretty heavily use Doku, which is a... Um, open source implementation of the heroku deployment api i don't think it i think heroku now has more stuff that doku doesn't clone right but the idea is you don't have to pay heroku's you know somewhat inflated costs right
1: i see right so you can manage it do more of the management yourself but still get a lot of the same sort of workflow that you expect from something like heroku
2: yeah and that's all Docker under the hood so if you if you go into it um if you do, like, it's doku-enter, the name of the application, all it gives you is Docker containers. That I still commonly use. But, you know, other than other than that, I've kind of backed off. I think we had a little bit of a container fever, let's say.
1: Oh, my gosh, I got to containerize everything!
2: Right, I think we actually had an episode called Containerize All the Things, right? Like, yeah,
1: yeah, I think you're right about that. You know, it's interesting. Um, Doku on their GitHub describes themselves as a Docker-powered platform as a service that helps you build and manage the life cycle of applications. so it's funny that that's almost exactly the use case that docker started for and it's you know it's still fulfilling that need today just no longer uh under dot cloud all right well you mentioned it at the top of the show mike and we i mean we really couldn't do this episode if we didn't talk about this and it's kind of the the language elephant in the room so you've had many opinions on swift over the years i thought i'd just highlight one i, I kind of enjoyed this little clip and i think you will too
2: so I've been secretly toying with Swift. Not so secretly since I've mentioned it at least a dozen times on the show. And on uh, Twitter. And on Twitter. You know, I go through different stages of disgust. slash, okay, well, that makes sense. Right now I'm in love with the guard keyword, which is a really stupid thing to like. But uh, for those who don't know, guard is basically if not. So it's like guard object is null or whatever, oh. right? Because that's a pretty common pattern, right? You just gotta make sure something isn't null. Super common in Objective C. But I still how can I say this? On a Greenfield project where you're going from file new, I would I would be willing to say, assuming now with Swift 2, yeah, go ahead and use Swift. I would probably use Swift 2 now. But really anything that is already written. Or you need to tie into existing code. I still don't think that bridging is good enough, and I really, really don't. I should. I want to walk this back a little bit. I would not be super willing to take. You know, let's say if Mercedes Benz hired Buccaneer to do an app, I'm not sure that I would. You know, make their project a Swift project. I don't know. I, I like my programming languages like I like my scotch. Old enough to order its own scotch. <laughs>
1: Yeah, isn't that isn't that great? And I mean, I think I think I can appreciate the sentiment there. Is as we were just talking about with container fever, sometimes you know you can jump on things too soon, and well, you're going to run into problems.
2: Yeah, the whole, Swift is actually like an interesting thing. I'm glad you brought it up because when Swift first came out, it really had a ton of issues. Right, Xcode would keep crashing because it you know the Swift um, people can look it up. I think there was a performance issue and how Xcode integrated with the Swift compiler.
1: Ah.
2: But it took them really till version 2 to get decent, and now I think it's version 5. It's, um, I would say Swift has pretty impressively grown and become a, a, a top-tier language. Although what's interesting is I was so impressed with the, um, with the guard statement, and I, and I didn't make the connection that it's basically unless in Ruby.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. You did miss that. Come on, Mike.
2: I did miss it completely. I just didn't, yeah.
1: An opportunity not to talk about Ruby? I know, what? So I am curious, right? I mean, you kind of came out against Swift when it was first launched, or at least some of the things that Apple was doing. Let's say you had some healthy skepticism about it. I I wonder, you know, I mean, are you um, using it much? How have your opinions changed over the years?
2: So this is kind of getting back to, like, things that have changed. Mobile is just not that big for me right now. Um, In fact, I don't currently have... Uh, I have one mobile project, very small, just an update to an old app. I am really not doing an iOS, any iOS development.
1: Wow. Yeah, that is a that is a big change. And, you know, I, I'm sure that talks about some underlying industry trends as well. We kind of all got app fever in the same way we got container fever, right? Like everyone had to be writing an app. That's where all the excitement was and a lot of money. And, of course, it's still a, a marketplace today, but it's not the same.
2: It's not the same, and especially as uh, the other trend here is maybe a more positive trend, the um, sophistication of what you can do with just straight up the DOM in JavaScript has really eliminated the need for a lot of things to be native mobile apps.
1: You know that is a that's a very good point. The web has the web has gotten better. I mean, many times apps, you know, fully native, um, very well done native apps can still be, you know, pr- pretty nice, well integrated. Oh, for sure. But you're right, by and large, I mean, probably half the ones I use on a database basis are pretty much just a, just a
2: web view. Yeah, particularly for, um, for line of business software, right? You don't, you know, if you don't need glitz and glamour for like public-facing or consumer-facing uh, user experience, geez, I would say in the last three years, it has been hard for me to recommend um, even to prospective clients, doing a native app because most of what they want done in a in a standard kind of you know internal business um, app is easier done as a web service or as a PWA. If you want to get really fancy, mm-hmm.
1: and then you can still, of course, optimize for mobile clients, but you you can be a more general service.
2: Yeah, and then you don't have to deal with um, you know setting up an, a uh, not um, uh, MDM. See, so, yeah, even the mobile stuff starting to fade. Yeah. And doing like enterprise certificates.
1: Which that's a whole other thing.
2: Yeah. How many hours did I talk about how horrible code signing was? Oh
1: my, yes. And, you know, having to have special machines set aside just for doing Apple build pipelines. Yep. What a mess.
2: It was, uh, if you lost a, I remember the Android uh, certificates, the publication ones. If you lost the certificate file, you had to delete your app off the store to replace it.
1: I mean, I suppose there are, some, there are perhaps some reasonable security guidelines there, but it is quite the draconian environment. You know, I'm also curious, Mike, um, one thing we've spent a decent amount of time talking about but haven't talked about yet today is the .NET platform, right? I mean, in, in your tenure, you've seen that platform open up. You've seen it advance, get get faster. I mean, just earlier this week, we were talking about some stories about some neat ways to do, you know, like fast native code running from .NET. Um, are you using that more? I know you've recently been talking F-sharp like like nobody's business.
2: I have... Seen some disturbing things done with old .NET and Access, um, and I'm very aggressively trying to move those people to .NET Core. I think the whole Microsoft, even taking it outside of .NET, trend over the uh, the time we've done this show has been one of the things that has surprised me the most.
1: Microsoft loves Linux, Mike. Don't you know they're an open source development company?
2: In 2012, if you told me that, I would have said, "All right, well, he's crazy, right?" Like that—that that is not, not, not happening. And now, I mean, they're on the Linux Foundation uh, board, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah, they have their own Linux distribution, maybe maybe several on, in some views.
2: How about like Windows subsystem for Linux? A Linux kernel yes. in Windows 10?
1: Mm-hmm. They've been, you know, made contributions to the kernel to help it run better on their cloud, which is also mostly runs Linux. It's, um, it kind of plays back into, you know, we, we at the top of the show, we're talking about how you had to remind people about open source at the start and... These days, I mean, you don't, right? Open source is now something that you'll see in, like, formal business reports.
2: Yeah, I think, I a really, like, succinct way to think about that is when we started the show, most of business executives you would deal with would, you'd have to justify using this, you know, crazy open source project. Now, you have to justify doing anything proprietary.
1: Yeah, right. Why, why do you, why do we need to buy this library? I mean, isn't there, like, an open source project we can use?
2: Right, like, in that, like, just the concept of buying a library is even to me is like, uh, no, it, it's come a long way now. I don't know. What, so what do you see the trend forward for, for, uh, in terms of Microsoft and, and open source? It's a
1: good question. I'm, I'm not quite sure where the next, where we're going to go from the inflection point we're at now is we've seen, you know, the large rise of services. So it's not like the proprietary aspect is kind of way. I think it's more of a, a realization from many players for good and bad reasons that, raising the level at where you start to add your level of you know new value your value add layer raising that up can can be useful because it turns out there is a lot of stuff that we all do share the same problems and we don't all need to rate our own con- container orchestrator right so we can share more of the things and get along but we have also seen a, a shift from you know the, the reliance on doing this yourself piecing together open source tools to now that's mostly done by, you know, big corporations who've abstracted that and presented it to you as a proprietary service. Yes, it's still powered by open source, and open source is, is doing well. I, I don't know that we've fully reckoned with that, and I'm not sure if that's going to change anytime soon.
2: In a way, there, there is like a lot, there is like a lot of influence, I think, of bigger corporations on open source than at least I ever thought there would be, right? Um, but it's not necessarily bad, right? Because you're Microsoft, so you're Red Hat, so I guess it's now IBM. Um, You know, the big companies, frankly, fund a lot of this work that desperately needs to be done, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And yeah, there's no question that we're still, you know, we're still benefiting from that. I think it's um, at this point, it's almost like a cultural value. Um, And uh, now that we're more aware of it, just making more decisions about where we draw those lines and to keep talking about it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh like like my favorite project, GNU step. Oh boy. Which is the uh, object. remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. My biggest achievement on the show, the thing I'm proudest of is getting you to use GNU step.
1: <laughs> you know, honestly, it was um it was a lot of fun and that's something I'm going to remember very fondly. Really us us trying a whole bunch of languages, that has been great and I kind of just want to I kind of just want to keep doing it in my spare time, you know. From time to time just picking things up. Just Keeping that pace going, yeah. I might too. I gotta say, even you know, even when we're trying th- things like canoe step, it makes you think more, it opens your mind, it, and it keeps you you know mentally flexible. And that's a huge benefit,
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, just looking at closure was like mind bending for me, um, but in a good way, right? So,
1: yeah, exactly. Even if you're not going to like switch to that or, or or whatever, right? You just start thinking about things in a different way, you practice using your brain and working through a problem in another way and that can only be a good thing and i think that you know it's an it was a nice kind of way to wrap things up too because you know as you talked about like helping out new programmers providing some fundamentals and by the end here we would kind of you know moved on a little bit not really but in the sense of we'd all grown as a community and sort of went and saw looked over the hill at all the other fun things that we can go spend time with
2: yeah it's so true yeah i mean it's um yeah, it's, it's been really interesting just jumping from language to language and watching some technologies go and others come. I mean, the whole functional programming, I know this existed since the 70s, but that really just picked up in the last couple of years. And I, I definitely think that's more like if, you know, you are that new programmer who wrote in on episode number one. Definitely take a look at some functional concepts, even if you are writing in a Java or a C Sharp. You know, how about safety in languages, right? Swift, Rust. Um, that's become a huge, I think, a huge gain.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, At the start, right, I think we're kind of still all in the um, dynamic object-oriented phase, the, you know, the rubies and the pythons. And and now it's, yeah, right? I mean, statically typed, um, at least partly functional languages are pretty much the norm.
2: Yeah, and the concept of of the language preventing you from making um, silly mistakes. I think that's something... That is a really positive trend.
1: IDEs, right? We've gotten we've gotten to expect more in terms of functionality and inter- interface with the compiler, and also I think in some ways moved to expecting less in other areas, right? We've seen the the rise of stuff like uh, VS Code, which is otherwise a somewhat lighter environment, but very functional and can play nicely with a huge variety of languages. And it's from Microsoft, uh, hitting our, our previous point.
2: And you can install it as a snap package on Linux, so there you go. Oh boy, isn't this a rat's nest? Yeah, this is just, oof. Uh, I remember, like, we started the show, Sublime Text, right, was was the IDE of choice. People were buying IDEs. Yes. Now that's, I mean, not not that people still can't buy these. I use JetBrains.
1: Right. I mean, JetBrains is is, is doing fine.
2: Oh, man. It's, things have changed. And you know what? I think the future looks great. My little hope and prayer is that Rust will continue to take over the world. I'm half kidding, but I I do see as a language to watch the next year, I think we're going to see a lot of projects, you know, askew C++ in favor of Rust for some of those safety reasons.
1: Right. I mean, it's also, you know, they've also brought in nice sort of dependency management. I know there's some issues about dependency bloat, et cetera, maybe.
2: Yeah, in cargo. Yeah, yeah.
1: But it's, you know, it's it's first class. It's nice. It's modern. And you're finally seeing, you know, like as Rust stabilizes more, you know, you get more of the async stuff in and uh, maybe green threads down the line, whatever you're going to have as conveniences. There's also more and more, you know, web frameworks and libraries and toolkits and and helpers that are being built. So I think Rust will also become more accessible to people that, you know, maybe you haven't played in quite that low level of a space before and you need a little bit more of, of help from the language.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, maybe we talk about it almost every week, so it's I, I can't say it's undercovered, but I feel like... A lot of people aren't taking Rust seriously enough, and it's going to be one of those things where you're you're really missing out on making your, you know, just your code, really just more stable, right?
1: Better defined and uh, easier to reason about.
2: Thank you. Almost like closure.
1: All right. I mean, what else can I say? But Mike was right. Oh,
2: I love it. So, what's next for Wes? I know you're you're rocking all the Linux stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean. JB's up to, we're doing all kinds of stuff, so um, if the listeners out there have not yet checked out LinuxHeadlines.show, we're, we're now doing a weekday, every weekday, three minutes or less, all the Linux headlines you need to know about for the day, you know? No longer do you need to go out and trawl through all the various feeds out there. Don't worry, we've done it for you in a tight little package.
2: So, so you know, I'm not supposed to play favorites, but, but you know, now I can. Um, that is, by far, my favorite show on the network and it just came out because it's fast. I can have my cup of coffee and I get, you know, just the facts, right? What do I need to know?
1: Right? I you know, I love that as a um it's the perfect amount of time when you're not quite ready to go into your meeting or uh, switch to your next task, maybe it's between pomodoros and it's just there to fill the gap and keep you entertained.
2: Yeah, it's really really cool.
1: Well, Mike, I know I know we're all going to want to keep, you know, following, talking, hanging out with you. Probably Twitter's the best place, right?
2: Yes, I'm a very active tweeter, uh, at dumanuko Now, I will say I'm going on vacation um, tomorrow for two days.
1: Well deserved.
2: Yep, I'm actually going to Star Wars land. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, I am, yeah.
1: To bond with Jar Jar.
2: Me and, and, actually, me and Jar Jar are starting a new show. We call it Real Basic with Jar Jar. <laughs> I'm kidding. Do not take that seriously. Yeah, I can already see people, where's the Jar Jar show?
1: Yeah, where, when's it coming out?
2: yeah no i am i i i have some high expectations for this so i i I hope disney doesn't disappoint me on this one
1: yeah let's hope so you've also you know you've also got a pretty great and uh handy blog going too what's uh where can people find that
2: Dominicm.com. yeah i i need to start posting again
1: Uh, beautiful i know i'll be checking it out and please do because you know you've handed out some great information there over the
2: years i appreciate that thank you yep and uh all right guys it's been fun and always remember objective c was the best language anyone has ever invented